If you'll open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We're going to read uh, verses 22 through 33 this morning, and Pastor Bruce will be uh, sharing a message entitled, What It Means to Be a Husband. Again, we'll be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. If you've got a pew Bible, you can find this passage on page 677. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning in celebration of our fathers, and uh, Lord, how you've used them in our lives. God, we just pray that now we as men uh, would seek to be husbands that honor you, to be fathers that uh, seek to give glory to you uh, through how we raise uh, and uh, send our children uh, to know your heart. In Christ's name, amen. Today I want to speak on a subject that I feel is rather critical, rather important to all of us here this morning. I want to talk about what it means to simply be a husband. And while the application of this message obviously is directed to us as husbands who are here this morning, please understand that this message is relevant for everyone here as well. It's relevant for all women and for all men, regardless of your age, regardless of your marital status. God's Word has something for each and every one of us here on this subject of what it means to be a husband. To those who are married, though, I begin with this simple question. Do you ever have a hard time figuring out who does what in your home? A man and his wife were having an argument about who should brew the coffee each morning. The wife said, you should do it because you get up first. And then we don't have to wait as long to get our coffee. And the husband responds, well, you should do it. You are in charge of cooking around here, and I can just wait for my coffee. To which the wife responds... No, you should do it. And besides, it's in the Bible that the man should brew the coffee. (laughs) Well, the husband was just, he was rolling his eyes and he replies, I can't believe that. you got to be kidding me. Prove it to me. Show it to me in the Bible. So she fetched the Bible, opened the New Testament, showed him at the top of several pages that it indeed says Hebrews. Hebrews. (laughs) Hebrews. So does this mean 
it's the husband's job to make coffee in the morning? Well, in the last 50 years, different philosophies regarding marriage have revolutionized the way many people perceive the roles and responsibilities of both husbands and wives. As a result of this, the different roles of biblical headship for the husband, biblical submission for the wife, are now distorted, despised, and even rejected or deserted altogether. I'm reminded of the young pastor who was performing his his very first wedding ceremony. He was nervous, and so he asked for some advice from an older pastor. He told the young pastor everything he needed to do, and then he made one final suggestion this older pastor did to the younger pastor. He said, if you ever forget what you're supposed to say, just quote a scripture. Well, the wedding ceremony was going smoothly until he pronounced the couple husband and wife. And at that point, his mind just went blank. And he began to kind of just freak out. What do I say? What do I say? And that's when he remembered the advice of the old preacher. So he quoted the only verse that came to his mind at that moment. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. (laughs) That is just the problem in our culture today. We're living in an age, we're living in a society when most people getting married know not what they do. Most couples today are confused about the biblical roles and responsibilities of a husband and a wife. They have no idea what it means to be a husband and a wife from God's perspective. All they know, all they have grown up learning and seeing and being modeled for them is what our culture says to do as a husband or a wife. Suzanne Vechner wrote an interesting article this last February in which she exposes the myth of the feminist movement. She writes, and I quote her words in the article, Feminists assured women their efforts would result in more satisfying marriages, but the result is something else altogether. It looks something like this. Marriage becomes a competitive sport. The complementary nature of marriage in which two people work together as equals toward the same goal, but with an appreciation for the qualities each gender brings to the table, has been obliterated. Today, husbands and wives are locked in a battle about whom does more on the home front and how they're going to get everything done. That's not a marriage. That's war. It's time to say what no one else will. Feminism didn't result in equality between the sexes. It resulted in mass confusion. Today, men and women have no idea who's supposed to do what in marriages. So as we focus specifically this morning on the role of husbands, let me begin with a question. It's the title of the message, basically. What is a husband supposed to do? What does it mean to be a husband? Well, how you answer this question will greatly determine the level of satisfaction or dysfunction in your marriage. More than ever, we need to answer this question, listen, not from our culture Not from what our society says, or from the media, or from TV, movies, internet, whatever. Not from friends, and even from family. We need to answer this question from God's perspective, from God's Word itself. What it means to be a husband. 
We need to know what God says so that we can live out what it means to be a husband. And in the process, experience God's blessing in our marriages. Another reason is that few things are more broken in our day than manhood and headship in relation to women and families. And the price of this brokenness is enormous, and it touches almost every area, every facet of our lives. So for the sake, if we can say it this way, of recovering the role of biblical manhood and headship, let's look at what it means to be a husband. And what I want to do is give you the answer up front. All right? Husbands, men, everyone here, I want to give it to you up front, and then we want to talk about it. And basically, what it means from God's perspective, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 here, to be a husband, it means two simple things. It means to lead your wives and to love your wives. It's that simple. It means to lead and to love. And we can tack on to the wives. Guys, it means to lead your wife and your family It means to love your wife and your family. In Ephesians 5, Paul challenged us to those two simple things. Lead and love. Now, that may be simple in word, but it's no small assignment. Would you agree with me, guys? And even ladies. So, husbands, this means we must both be a leader and a lover. Two ways to think about it. I must be a leader and I must be a lover in my marriage. This is not an either-or proposition, but a both-and challenge to us from the Apostle Paul in God's Word. Both aspects of leading and loving must be present in our lives as husbands. So what does it look like? What does it mean? Well, let's dive into it. First of all, number one, husbands, lead your wife and your family. Look again at what Paul writes In Ephesians 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul begins and he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, let me just stop there for a moment because this message is actually, it's really a continuation of a series that we began back in February. You maybe were here and you may remember it. We did a series on love, sex, and marriage, and we covered the whole chapter of Ephesians 5. How many remember the series back in February? All right, and then you remember we got this spring-like snowstorm, freak snowstorm on a Sunday morning. We had to cancel church. Church was all over the Kansas City area, no church. And I was supposed to preach this very message here. And immediately I'm like, well, I'm going to save this for Father's Day because this message is too important. We already dealt with the issue of biblical womanhood, if you will, what it means to be a wife, what it means to submit to your husband. We dealt with that issue back in the series. And so... Wives, as you're like, man, give it to the men here. Listen, go back and listen on the podcast. Go to the internet, to our website, glenwoodconnection.org. You can download it. You can download the notes. And you can listen to what it means to be a wife. What does God say about this issue of submission? But today, our focus is going to be on husbands here. Notice how Paul continues now in verse 23. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife. And it's also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Now, as Paul describes the husband's relationship to his wife, he begins by establishing the husband's role of headship over his wife. And Paul does this by making several comparisons. Perhaps you already began to see them. He says husbands are compared to who? Christ. And wives are compared to what? 
the body of Christ or the church. Husbands are, are compared to the head and wives are compared to the body. Therefore, husbands now are commanded to love as Christ loved the church. And wives are commanded to submit as the church, that's all of us, are to submit to Christ. Clearly, Paul is saying something here to us. And what he's saying is that the husband is the head of his wife just as Christ is the head of the church. So the husband is to take his cues in marriage. Guys, that's us. We are to take our cues in marriage from Christ in his relationship to the body of Christ, to the church. But let's be honest here. Let's stop for a moment. Because animosity in our culture stirs over this word head and the idea of headship. Our culture distorts this idea. It despises this idea of the concept of headship for husbands. So what exactly does headship here mean? Well, in a day when there's great animosity... In a day when there is a lot of confusion about the role of husbands, it is clear from this passage that the husband bears a unique responsibility for leadership in his marriage and family. I like the definition of headship that pastor and author John Piper gives. It's in your notes there. Look at it. Look what he writes. He said, headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Now, that's not an exhaustive definition. We could reword that. We could add to it. You could edit it. But it captures the basic idea that God is giving to us here in Ephesians chapter 5 about the concept of headship that is applied for husbands. And by virtue, if you have kids, to dads or fathers as well. So what does this look like? What does Christ-like headship include? Well, let's consider five key words that will help us better understand the truth about headship. Number one, Christ-like leadership includes authority. It includes authority. When Paul says that Christ is the, quote, head of the church, we know this term is important. We know it carries with it the idea of authority. So headship for the husband in this context Context is also an expression of authority. It does not merely mean source, as some modern-day scholars have claimed. This conclusion seems unavoidable when you see that Paul indicates that just as the church does what to Christ? The church, us, we are to submit to Christ as our head. So the headship of a husband becomes the rationale now for the wife's submission. You say, well, well, okay, what, what's the implication of this? What does this actually mean? Well, in practical terms, and please hear me on this, it, it, it simply, you could say there's a sort of chain of command designed by God for the home. Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Listen to what he says. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. In other words, what Paul is telling us here is that Christ is the head of all people, male or female, and the husband is the head of his wife. And so the same headship and submission that exists within the very Godhead 
of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is to exist within the home. And that headship for husbands includes an expression or this idea of authority. Number two, it also includes responsibility, though. The privilege of authority brings great responsibility of leading your wife and home. Because Christ is the head of the church, he acts as her savior. Jesus gave himself out of love to make the church holy, blameless, and beautiful. So at some level, headship now includes taking responsibility for that which God commits to our care as husbands. So as leaders of the home, husbands, fathers, we have the God-given responsibility to oversee the affairs of the home. In fact, of the man who is spiritually mature. God tells us in 1 Timothy 3, 4, it says, He must be one who manages his own household. And this word manage simply means to preside over, to have authority over, which means husbands have been given the responsibility to lead their wives, to lead their families. Number three, Christ-like leadership includes humility. It includes humility. Listen, headship is not about lording one's position. Headship here is not about lording one's power over one's wife and kids for our personal gain. That's not what this is about. The call here in verse 25 for husbands to love like Christ loved the church revolutionizes the way husbands lead their wives and their families. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 22, verses 25 through 26. He writes, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you, he says. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. In other words, husbands, listen, don't stop leading your wife and your family, but turn all your leading now into serving. Why? Because the responsibility of leadership is given not to puff ourselves up, but rather to build your family up. Now, the simplest way to see this in action is simply to remember what Jesus did in one of the Gospels, the Gospel of John, John chapter 13. And there you'll find that Jesus is in a room with the other disciples, and all of a sudden, man, he grabs a towel, he grabs a water basin, and he gets on his knees, and what does he begin to do? Wash the disciples' feet. This was the bridegroom serving the bride. But not for one minute did any of the disciples in that room doubt who the leader was in that moment when Jesus was on his knees washing the disciples' feet. Why? Because servanthood does not nullify leadership. It defines it. Jesus did not cease to be the Lion of Judah when he became the lamb-like servant of the church. So husbands, if I can say it this way, the way to lead your wife is to copy Jesus, not Jabba the Hutt, for you Star Wars fans. Christ-like leadership also includes intimacy. It includes intimacy. Now logically, this makes sense when you consider that husbands are compared to the head and wives are compared to the body. 
The head, as you look at yourself, as you look at your person sitting next to you, as you look at me even, the head is directly connected to the body, right? See a head, it's to the body. The life of one flows into the life of the other. And so for the head to function, it must remain closely united to the body. The head must never be detached from the rest of the body. If such separation occurs, what happens? What? Death. Yes, both the head and the body will die. So it is in the marriage relationship. So a husband's Headship here implies that he is to live in close intimacy with his wife. So husbands, beware. If we grow distant from our wives, then a sure death will occur in the relationship, and we will both cease to function as God has designed. This is why later on in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This means we must do more than just coexist with our wives in the same house. Living under the same roof. Perhaps not even sleeping in the same bed. One upstairs, one downstairs, that happens all the time. This means so much more than that. We must live together with them. Now, men, I'll be the first to admit, I don't claim to be an expert in husband-wife relationships. But here's a little secret I have learned in my 22 years of marriage. Our wives long for us to be intimate with them. Amen? Do you agree with that, wives? Yes. So Christ-like leadership includes intimacy. But number five, also, it includes accountability. It includes accountability. I find it rather ironic that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God came, and when God came to call them to account, it didn't matter that Eve had sinned first. Guess who God confronted first? That's right, Adam. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, God said, Adam! Where are you? And God's been asking that same question ever since. Adam, husband, father, where are you? Listen, if something is not working right in your house, and Jesus comes knocking on the door, He may have an issue with your wife, but the first thing He's going to say when your wife opens up the door is, where's the man of the house? Where's the husband? Where's the father? Why? Because the role of headship includes a unique responsibility that is different from the wife. Now, here's a question I want us to ponder for a moment. What happens, though, when sin and self distort the role of headship for the husband as God is talking about here in Ephesians 5? Because let's be honest here, guys. Those are the two things that block us, if you will, that hinder us from achieving our role of headship, from keeping us from fulfilling our responsibility. So what happens when sin in my life as a husband and when selfishness in my life 
distorts this role of headship. Well, notice here in your notes, my notes coming up on the screen, it almost always results in two common problems. And that is husbands who abuse their authority as head or husbands who avoid their responsibility to lead. Remember, these problems are nothing new. They go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, it ruined the harmony of marriage. And it twisted man's loving headship into hostile domination in some men and lazy indifference in others. This is what happens when the roles of headship and the role of submission are not redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are distorted and they are made ugly in the hands of sinful people like us. Please hear me on this. The problem is not the roles in marriage that God designed and gave us. The problem here in our culture is evident is the people that are in the marriage. It's our sinfulness. It's our selfishness. And we haven't allowed Christ to redeem us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem is not biblical submission. The problem is not biblical headship. These are God's designs for marriage. As the Creator, as the One who wants to bring glory to Himself through our marriages in this world, the problem is me. It's my sin. It's my selfishness. And the answer to that problem, the solution to that problem, is the gospel of Jesus Christ redeeming me. And what a difference it makes. And that's why we need Christ to redeem us before these roles that God has given to us can shine with the beauty that God designed them to be. So headship is not a right to abuse. It's not a responsibility to avoid, guys. It's a divine calling to lead your wife like Jesus leads His church. Number two, husbands, love your wife and your family. We are to lead, but how are we now to lead? We are to lovingly lead them. Love your wife and your family. Did you hear about the wedding ceremony where the minister said, do you take this woman for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health? And the groom said, yes, no, yes, no, no, yes. (laughs) Of course, we'd all like to sign up for the better, richer, and healthier parts when we get married. And forget all the other stuff, but that's not the way marriage works, is it? Husbands, look what God calls us to. In verses 25, 28, and 33, look at it there in your notes or in your Bibles. He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And then drop down to verse 33. He says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And the obvious question I have for me and for us guys here this morning, well, what does it mean to love my wife? I'm pretty simple, so I need some simple answers. And I love God's word because he gives us the answers of what it means to love. In fact, Paul gives us two analogies. You could kind of say two pictures for me to visualize, for me to see, hey, here's what love in action looks like as a husband. I like that. I like seeing a model. I like seeing a picture because I can see it and then apply it in my life. So guys, pay attention here. 
two analogies or two pictures to help us better understand what it means to love our wives. First analogy is this. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now at this point, any husband who has a clue about what has just been asked of him, let me tell you, is begging God for help because the force of this verse is staggering. Amen, men? Man, read this verse here. Husbands, love your wives just as what? Christ also loved the church. And I'm going, whoa, whoa, back off there because that's a tall order. I don't know that I can pull that off. I mean, I'm falling to my knees right now. How am I supposed to achieve that? You're asking me, Lord, to love my wife like you love the church? Because right now, in my mind, probably in some of your minds, you're all thinking, I know how Christ loved the church. Whoa. What Paul is calling us as husbands to do here, let me tell you, it's truly radical. It's even countercultural. Paul is calling husbands to love your wife like Christ loved the church, which now begs the question, well, how in the world did Christ love the church? And the answer is, with a sacrificing love that gave His life for the church. We know that at the cross. All we got to do is go back and look at the cross and see how Christ loved the church. Christ demonstrated the supreme act of love when He gave His very life for us. Here was the ultimate sacrifice. Christ loved us with a sacrificial love even unto death. Think about this with me for a moment, men. Christ gave up His comfort. He gave up His conveniences, His rights and riches. Why? Because He loved us. He gave up being served by angels in heaven in order to serve us here on earth. Husbands, this If you're wanting a picture of how we are to love our wives, this is the picture. This is how we are to love our wives. What Paul draws attention to most, though, in this verse is mind-boggling. He draws attention most is that the way Christ loves the church is by dying for her. Staggering. This is the most radical thing that has been said or could be said to us as husbands about the way we are to love our wives. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, longtime pastor, he says this, and I quote his words, if the Christian husband wants to know how to love his wife, he has to go to the cross. This means we must love our wives with a sacrificial love. Giving up our pleasures. Giving up our preferences. Giving up our comforts and conveniences. Rather than being served, God calls us to sacrifice for our wives. Why? Because true love is all about giving and not getting. And let me just be the first to admit. I fail at this. 
Are you with me, guys? None of us do this perfectly. This is so convicting, it's not even funny. Because I look at my own life in relation to my own wife and family. Because let me tell you, sin and self in my own life rears its ugly head so much. And then we're reminded of God's word here. I told you, man, I wanted you to be challenged and convicted this morning. That's why we laughed at the beginning with a video that had no spiritual emphasis at all. Because now we're getting it. But guys, don't miss this. There's a purpose to this kind of loving. There's a purpose to this kind of sacrificial love in dying of self for our wives and our family. Don't miss this purpose. It's amazing. The purpose of loving your wife like Christ loves the church. We find this purpose of our sacrificial love in verses 26 and 27. Look at it. That he, speaking of Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her. Who's her? He's talking about the church. Might present the church to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. All right, a lot of stuff going on in that verse. What does it mean? It means, guys, listen to me, the purpose of loving your wife the way Christ loved the church with a sacrificial love that dies to self in order to serve your wife and your family. The purpose of all that to what God calls us to, has a spiritual dimension that we often neglect or don't even realize. A spiritual dimension. What, what are you talking Listen, in Christ's relationship to the church, you know what He's seeking in us here today? All of us here as the church. He is seeking the transformation of His bride. That's us. We are the bride of Christ. And He wants us to be transformed from the inside out. He wants us to be transformed into something morally and spiritually beautiful. That when Christ returns, He now presents you and I to God the Father as something glorious, holy, and without spot. And now He applies that same purpose to our marriages. The purpose of Christ's love in our lives is to sanctify us is to set us apart from sin and to make us more like Christ and to grow us up spiritually. Why? So that one day, as I said, Christ will present us to himself on, as his beautiful bride. And so here's the application. The application is simple, but it's hard. Is that we bear, guys, a unique responsibility for the spiritual growth of our wives. This means we are to love our wives with a purifying love which protects them from the defiling influences of this world in which we live. At the same time, we must provide them with an environment where God's Word itself will purify our wives and our family. Our love should not squash them, crush them, and reduce them. Instead, our love should build up our wives and enable them to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and to show Christ to the world. So husbands, here's some questions 
to think about, questions to ponder for myself and hopefully for you. Do I sacrifice for my wife and serve her? Or do I expect my wife to sacrifice for me and serve me? Is my wife more like Christ because she's married to me? Or is my wife more like Christ in spite of being married to me? Am I pursuing her conformity to Christ by lording it over her or by dying to self for her? Just a few questions to think about. The second analogy, or the second picture that Paul gives us here on how to love our wives, like Christ loved the church, what it looks like is this. Love your wife like you love yourself. Well, that's rather easy, isn't it? Every guy here understands this. Paul gives us this second analogy because Paul himself knows that men are basically selfish creatures. And by the way, women are too. Won't leave that out. We all are. And he knows that men are apt to take care of themselves. So he tells us in verses 28 and 29, look at it, look what he writes. So husbands ought to love their own wives, how? As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but rather nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. This is the golden rule of matrimony. You shall love your wife as yourself. Therefore, in a real sense, when a husband loves his wife, he's really loving himself. Why? Because the two, we know from Genesis, are one flesh, right? So when a man, husband, loves himself, he is, in essence, loving his wife. But Paul does something here now. See, we understand this on a human level. In fact, we understand this really on a selfish level. But Paul now does something in this verse. He elevates it. He elevates this loving care now by comparing it to Christ's loving care for his church. So he takes it up a level here. Just as Christ ministers to his church, he's ministering to his own body. So how do we love ourselves and how does Christ minister to his church? And we do that with a caring love that nourishes and cherishes our own bodies. Now, those words there, nourish and cherish, they're significant words. We don't have time to get get into them, but the idea is this. The idea is husbands have a responsibility to provide for and protect their wife and family. So here's Paul's logic, if you can follow his logic here, guys and women. Husbands, you have a natural instinct to protect yourself. Amen? We all do, right, guys? We have a natural instinct to protect ourselves. We also have a natural instinct to provide for ourselves. Now, Paul says, transfer that instinct in provision and protection of your wife and family. And do this for her both physically and spiritually. And do it like Christ cares for His church. Which means we basically must get rid of the me first attitude. Because that's how we approach it on the human level. But remember, Paul takes it up a notch. He takes it to the Christ-like level. Which means i got to get rid of the me first attitude and cultivate a you first attitude. Because that's how Christ cares for His church. So what does this look like in the everyday life of a marriage? 
I'm glad you asked. Here's just one example. It means our Christ-like love must take the lead in reconciliation with our wives. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. But if you go back one chapter to Ephesians chapter 4, oh my, there's a lot to apply. And in the last few verses of that chapter, you can sure apply this. Paul writes in verses 26 and 27, he says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, one wide open door to the devil in your home is unresolved anger in conflict as you go to bed. Now, that, hear me, please hear me. That doesn't mean that wives should never say they're sorry. But in Christ's relationship to the church, who took the initiative to reconcile us to God? Who left the comfort of His throne to put mercy to work on the cross? Who was it? It was Christ. So husbands, your sacrificial love means go ahead, take the lead, and reconcile with your wife. It doesn't matter that it's her fault. Listen, that didn't stop Christ. Who will break the icy silence first? Who will say first the words, I'm sorry, will you forgive me, or can we talk? And again, I'll be the first to admit, oh, this is so stinking hard. Oh, my word. I mean, this chapter here, believe me, I almost didn't preach it because it was so convicting. I was like, Lord, I really got to because, man, I just, whoa. Are you with me, guys? And it's Father's Day, and I want Father's Day to be uplifting. So hang on with me, guys. It is. So what does it mean to be a husband from God's perspective here? Let me summarize real quick. It simply means leading and loving our wives like Christ loves and leads His church. Now, before we conclude, let me give a caution here to wives. Ladies, please listen. Please, please, please listen to this caution. It's coming up on your screen. You cannot demand that your husband take leadership in your marriage and home and love you like Christ loved the church. Ladies, do you understand this? Do you get this? You cannot demand this from your man. Wise, if you do, it won't work. In fact, it will backfire, and it will make things worse in your marriage and home. You say, well, why is that? Let me give you three simple reasons, not in your notes. One, demanding is contradictory to the very thing for which, if we're honest with ourselves, you long for. If you become the demander, that means he's not the leader. Second, if your husband has any impulse to lead you and your family, you're demanding will just suck the heart right out of it. Because it won't feel like leading anymore, it will feel like compliance. And over time, he will become passive and just give up and give in to it. And then third, leading and loving. Listen, it has to come from the inside of us men. As a result of God's Word and God's Spirit working in our hearts as husbands and dads 
and men. So instead of demanding something from your husband like this, listen, pray for your husband and affirm him and encourage him in his role, his God-given role. Now, husbands, let me close with a word to us. Because there's no doubt what Paul challenges us to here. Leading and loving our wives like Christ leads and loves the church is an overwhelming calling. Is it not? This calling may even cause trembling in our hearts. It may even cause us to buckle in our knees. So let me give you some encouragement for husbands. God doesn't call you to do what he won't empower you to do. God doesn't call you to do what he won't empower you to do. I love what Paul writes in Philippians 4.13. A familiar verse most of us know, but so powerful. He simply says, I can do all things. And what does all things include? All things. All things such as, listen to this guys, because this is cool. I can do all things such as leading and loving like Christ leads and loves the church. I can do all things. No, not in my own power, not in my own spirit, not in my own initiative, but through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, husbands, we are called to do some very hard things. Leading and loving is not easy, but that's the role God has called us to. But with every call comes a promise. And God tells us now in Isaiah 41.10, He says, fear not. I like that because, let's be honest, I'm a little fearful of fulfilling this God-given role in my marriage and with my family. It's overwhelming. But God reminds me here, fear not. Why? For I am with you in this. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you in this role. I will help you fulfill it. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So husbands, be encouraged today as you leave here on Father's Day. Knowing that in God's strength, I can lead my wife and family. I can love my wife and family just as Christ leads and loves. Not perfectly, But progressively, I can fulfill this God-given role. As the gospel redeems me and sanctifies me as a son of God. Yes, leading and loving is hard. But through the power of Christ, you can fulfill your God-ordained role as a husband. And guys, take heart. I've never met a wife yet who is sorry she is married to a man who leads and loves like Christ. Because when God designs a thing like marriage, He designs it for His glory and for our good. With your heads bowed. And as we come to our response time, and as the praise team comes, guys, let me ask you, to just kind of pause right here and to evaluate your own life, especially if you're a husband here this morning, and evaluate how you're fulfilling your God-given role of leading and loving your wife and family.
If you're like me, I, I know you feel like, man, I'm coming up short in this area, I'm coming up short in that area, and, and I, I just, I need help, I need God's grace. How many would raise your hand and say, boy, that's me, I need God's help in this role, fulfilling it? Raise your hand, guys, if that would be you. Thank you, all over the auditorium. I want to pray for you, and then after I pray, we're going to have response time, and here's my challenge to you to express your heart's desire to God with what you heard. Recommit yourself as a husband in fulfilling your role. Confess your faults if need be. And ask God to forgive you and recommit to letting God's power work in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, we desperately need homes with godly husbands and wives. Godly husbands who are willing to lead and love their wife and family like Christ, and godly wives who are willing to embrace the leadership of their husbands. But for this, we need your grace. We need your help and your power. And so, Lord, I ask this for every guy here this morning, every husband specifically. For those husbands that are discouraged, that you would lift them up. And you would encourage their hearts not to give in, not to walk out, but to run to the cross for your power and your strength. We ask this for your glory and our good. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the praise team sings, guys, will you express your heart's desire? And and ladies, wives, let me encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer. And give thanks for your husband. Pray for him even now. Ask God to do a work in his heart.